I had no idea when I began to study for these messages a few months ago what the news headlines would be saying today. I think it's incredible that we are studying this book right now. Truly, these are the days of future past that we saw written in the book of Daniel. When you see the rise of radical Islam and the war with ISIS that we are in, and you see how social media is fueling this in ways we couldn't have imagined, and people traveling from all over the globe to be uh, recruited and to get involved, I'm telling you, these things were predicted and prophesied. The Bible is over a one-third prophecy. It's not just a dead book of history. It speaks to us about the now. And Daniel is one of those major prophets. He even spoke, the scriptures and prophecies speak of even epidemics and outbreaks and diseases. And can you imagine uh, this outbreak of Ebola that's happening? We are connected as a church. If you've given ever in the history of your life to Heartland Church, you've been a part of saving people's lives in the country of Sierra Leone already. And just a few years ago, in 2008, we put a capital campaign of our own on hold. It was a delay for us. It was life and death as a water crisis of epic proportions had struck that country and people were dying of diseases like cholera, known things that could be prevented with clean water and hygiene. And we responded. Sierra Leone was last place in the world in terms of economic development. It was the last place. And in 2008, we got involved, our community got involved. Leaders from our community joined us, the Rotary Club of Fishers and other leaders. And today, over a million dollars has been given from this community and through Rotary International and our leadership, it's been given to help people uh, to save lives. And we responded to that crisis back in 2008, and I wanna tell you, we are responding again. Uh, there's a crisis happening now. I don't need to inform you where this part of the world is. You've seen it on the news every day. And um, people are contracting the Ebola virus in Sierra Leone at the rate of about five to 10 people per hour. And that's what's happening right now. And now uh, we're a world away, but we're not. We are there. These are our partners. These are people that we have cared for. And even if you haven't personally gone, you've sent your love and your gifts over the years. And so we're going to do that again today. We're going to respond. I'm sending uh, a check for $10,000 today, and uh, I would love for you to be a part of that. That's going to have the impact of $200,000 on the ground in providing emergency uh, water to these hospitals that they're trying to build as quickly as possible because there's not enough hospital beds. People are dying in the streets. And so we're going to join the effort there and get involved once again because it was never about water. It was about saving people's lives. And yet water is life and water is what we're going to do again. So will you join me at the end of the service as we give? You have an opportunity to be a part of this one more time and, you know, give and, and make a difference today. Uh, I ask you that not for me. We're just going to send uh, that extra and over and above and beyond. We're going to send that out uh, to get involved today. And it's the least that we can do. Okay. And this is why this matters. The book of Daniel and the study of prophecy too often gets caught up in when is Jesus coming back and the date of the time and the Antichrist and all of that, when really all of the message of prophecy is about is to educate us and to encourage us about what kind of people we are going to be in the last days. How are we going to function? What's our character going to be? Are we just going to set the culture? Are we going to reflect the culture or are we going to set the culture? And Daniel has been this exceptional person that has taught us week after week as we've gotten into this book, some very important lessons. If you recall, the first week was culture wants to take you over. Culture wants to completely change your identity, change how you feel about yourself, 
attack your gender, attack all kinds of things about your identity. The second week we learned about how culture wants you to bow down to it. Like, have your God, believe in your faith, but don't you dare challenge what culture says is right or wrong. And what will you do? In the third week, we talked about culture's greatest sin, which is pride, which is, I know what's right, and I've made myself, I'm a self-made person, and how that pride leads to an insanity that leads towards a fall. All of these messages are already archived on our website if you missed one. And if you're new today and just jumping on board, you can, you can go back and watch that. Uh, today we're going to go to Daniel, the fifth chapter. It's a very famous story. Next week I'm going to talk about being an exceptional person because it's culture's greatest need. For you to be exceptional. For you, what if all of us said, we're going to set culture. We're not just going to reflect it. We're going to be exceptional people like Daniel. It is culture's greatest need today. And then the week after that, I'm going to talk about where prophecy will take us. What's the end game? Where's it going? What are the last days? Who's the Antichrist? I'm going to tell you that. No, I'm not. I'm just going to, I'm just waiting to see if you're listening to me this morning. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting as I talk about where we're, where we're headed. So come back for those next two weeks. But today, a very, very famous story. You've probably heard some of the phrases from this story. You just didn't know where it was, but it's also very infamous as well. It starts off with a description of a very, very wild, crazy party. So some of you are going to like that. So Daniel chapter 5, pull out your notes. You can follow on the screen. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar came, attacked Jerusalem, took back 10,000 captives. The youngest, the best, and the brightest. Daniel was one of those. We're reading his story as he chronicles what happened over his life. King Nebuchadnezzar now is dead and gone. He's passed away. Daniel is still in a position of influence. And one of his descendants is now on the throne. And this is his story. Verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. That is a very nice Bible way of saying they were stone cold falling down drunk. That's what that says. Three sheets to the wind. I don't even know what that means, but I know you're really drunk if that's you. Uh, just completely plastered, okay? They're gone. They're, this is not just they're drinking wine. I mean, they're having this party. And while Belshazzar was drinking wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of his life, actually honored the God of Israel and became a follower of God Almighty. And so, you know, this kid knew this. These were sacred and holy and all of that. But he gave orders that he bring, that take those out of, the, out of their holy place and bring them into the party. It was so crazy that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. See, this is how crazy this is. I don't know if you see the humor here, but how drunk do you have to be to think it's a good idea to bring your wives and your concubines to the same party? <laughs> so this is, this is totally insanity that's happening here, all right? They drank... Uh, they praise their gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Basically, they just desecrated everything that was holy. They defiled themselves. They, they mocked God. And they worshiped kind of the stuff that they'd created. They were very prideful about, look at the gold and the silver and look what we've made. And they were partying. Suddenly, the party crasher happened. Okay, look at this. Suddenly, in the middle of this crazy party, the finger of God appears and starts writing on the wall. A human hand appeared, started writing on the plaster near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. Look at this. His face turned pale. He was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking together. He's scared spitless. Scared to sobriety, actually. 
The king summoned, summoned the enchanters, the astrologers, all the wise men of Babylon. And he said to them, whoever reads this writing tells me what it means. I will outfit in royal clothing, put a gold chain around their neck of authority. And oddly, he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Strange. We'll talk about that in a minute. Are you guys ready? This is, this is not just a warning to this King Belshazzar. I think he's going to talk directly to where you and I live. It's so convicting to me. I can hardly preach this message because it's hitting me so hard today. I hope it affects you in the same way, in a good way, okay? So let's pray together. Father, please speak to me. Speak to everybody here. Help us to hear what you're saying. And let it hit us right where we need to be hit, Lord, because we want to we know what you want. We want to change. We want you to rescue us or help us. We want your blessing. Show us how to be today in Jesus' name. Amen. I shouldn't have to say it, but I want to start off by saying this actually happened. It's not a made-up story. It's not a myth. This is actual verified history. And I know some of you think about writing on the wall but could I, just, could I just briefly pause and be a history teacher for just a moment? I promise I won't bore you. But this actually occurred. Let me just walk you through a period of human history. The first great empire ever in the history of the world was the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar, the founder. Take a look at these incredible dates. He ruled for 43 years, and he was history's first and worst dictator. Terrible, terrible guy. Lived for 43 years, died in 532 or 62 BC. And by the way, this isn't from the Bible. This is just known, dug up, like real, verified history, okay? He was succeeded by his son after he died, a guy by the name of Evil Merodach. Isn't that an incredible name? I, I know retro names for babies are coming back, and I just want to dedicate your baby. This, if you name it this, I would love to do that because, you know, here, everybody, this is a little evil. Wouldn't this be great to say just one time? I mean, that's a name right out of, like, and then Evil Merodach, you know, succeeded. But he only lived for, like, two years because he was murdered, assassinated by his brother-in-law. History records that his brother-in-law, Negrelisar, uh, he was murdered, okay, in August of 560 B.C. Negrelisar, he only ruled for four years, and he died suddenly. And so his young son, uh, Labashi Marduk, became king, but he only ruled for two months, because in the power vacuum, another one of the family by the name of Nabonidus, he took the throne, killed the little kid, and now he ruled. And he ruled for 17 years. Now, this is the interesting thing. He rules for 17 years, and history records he is the king of Babylon when Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, comes and attacks the Babylonian empire. And history records that he is successful. So the last king of Babylon is Nabonidus, succeeded by King Cyrus of the Medes and the Persians. Okay, history knows this. It's a fact. So for all of these years, in Religion 101 in college, it was brought up, Daniel chapter 5. This is a classic example why you can't trust the Bible. It's historically inaccurate. All this stuff is made up. It's just myths and legends. There was never a king named Belshazzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar never had a son named Belshazzar. So this is all made up. And besides, writing on the wall, please. Okay. <laughs> now, here, here's something. You just need to know this. I studied uh, archaeology at Oxford University, okay, like Oxford in England, the real England. I only took one class there. It was archaeology of biblical lands, but that was just, that was the one class I took, and I'm glad I did. Let me tell you what happened just a few years ago. A series of cylinders was dug up 
in this part of the world. They're called the Nabonidus Chronicles, okay? Five cylinders, ancient cuneiform, Babylonian writing all around them. And one of the cylinders specifically tells of the destruction of the Babylonian Empire, how King Cyrus came and took over from Nabonidus. What's so interesting is in the story, here's what happened. Cyrus came and defeated the Babylonian army, okay? Nabonidus, hearing that his army was defeated, fled the city of Babylon, putting his son, a 20-year-old, 20-something named Belshazzar, made him the co-regent. So in other words, he said, hey, son, I'd like to share the throne with you. I'll see you later. And he ran. And he left the city and left his 20-year-old, 20-something in charge while Cyrus is marching to take the city. What does a 20-year-old privileged son of a dictator do when dad has left and you're just there and the guy's coming and there's no army? <laughs> Have a party for a thousand of your friends. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That phrase actually comes from this story. That's where that comes from. And so he doesn't know what to do. So he's got this party, and now all of a sudden you see the cloud that's over this city. There's terror. They're afraid because the king has left us, and the, the army of the Persians and the Medes are coming, and are they going to destroy us? So they have this crazy, like, this is the end, the world's last night party. It's a movie script. There's nothing new under the sun, all right? So they're partying away. And by the way, here's the thing that's just interesting before I get back to the story. So the Bible can't be trusted. It's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, it's just myths and legends until you know, somebody digs up an inscription. It's the way it's always been. Do you know now, as of right now, there are no major historical controversies in the Bible that have not been verified by archeology, span none. So if somebody says today that, um, well, the Bible can't be trusted historically. They're either uninformed or they're deliberately lying. But the evidence is there. You just need to go look at it for yourself. All, you know, the Hittites, David, King Solomon, all of that, it's all been verified. Now, there are questions about prehistory, like how old is the earth and all of that. Lots of controversy there. But in known human history, the last 6,000 years, the Bible is historically accurate. I don't know if that convinces some skeptics, because skeptics want to be skeptics, but I'll give you a reason why you, you might want to consider the Bible to be true anyway. We've been learning from Daniel that one of the things that, that is so important for us to wrestle with is, uh, who will you bow down to in the end? I mean, who will be your God? And will it be a God of your making, or it will be a God that's for real? If it's a God that's for real, that God has the ability to contradict you. That, that God has the ability to warn you because that God knows more than you. The danger we have is when we start to create gods in our own making, like, like, I like this part, I like the love part, but I don't want anybody telling me what a sin is. The minute you do that, suddenly you, when, when you create a God in your own making, what do you have? It's an idol. And when you have an idol, how does an idol that you've made help you when you're in trouble? That's why you have so much insecurity. That's why there's so much fear when stuff goes wrong. And the ironic thing is you, then you blame the God that holds your life in his hands, actually, but you made up the God that you're worshiping. So one of the questions that everybody has to wrestle with is who is your God and who do you bow down to? Because at the end of the day, if you've just made up a God and you've said, well, this is what I believe or I think or I feel, God is like, well, you don't have a God that's going to rescue you when you get into trouble, when you have a problem you can't solve, when you've got some kind of an issue that you run into something, who helps you then? And so here's the question we've been wrestling with together. It's one of these key things. Uh, is this God's word? 
And I accept it. Like, I accept the parts that I don't like and the part I don't understand, but there's a God who's over me and, and he has the right to tell me what to do. Or do I just make it up on my own? Do I just kind of feel my way through it? Okay? Well, we're going to talk about that today because there's some warnings in this passage. And the warnings only help people because they contradict us. The warnings come to say the direction you're on is not the right direction. And you might want to adjust. Much like a parent. See, one of the things people have the problem with is a God that's just wanting to judge them. And, you know, any parent of a child who's going through an addiction can totally relate. Because here's a child you're watching implode. Their life is being destroyed. Everything's going bad. The choices they're making are self-destructive. And reason is not getting through. And the parents, when they're wise, they realize the only option I have is to stand back. I can't help you. I mean, the child is manipulating. Give me what I want. And the parent is going, well, I can't do that. It's just going to lead to your destruction. I can't go down this road with you. And the only hope the wise parent has is one day that the consequences will be, that they experience will be strong enough and hard enough. They'll hit the wall. It's the irony of love. You love them so much, you have to let the consequences hit them. So one day they'll look up and say, I can't. And there's got to be something power that's greater than me that will lead me out of this. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. And that's what every parent with an addicted child is hoping will happen. Well, that's exactly what God is trying to do with his people. He's saying, I wanted to help you. I sent you warnings. I was contradicting the path that you were taking, but you didn't want to listen. So would you please come back to me? And I think that's what God is saying to people in this culture today Come back to me. Come back to me. So here's this party now. It's, the, it's, the, it's this wild party, the concubines. Everything's going crazy. And they say, we can't understand. Bring in all of the wise people. The wise people can't understand because it's a mystery that's made by God. It's, a, it's writing that God made that human wisdom can't understand. See, there's a mystery that is your life that you'll never understand until you talk to the creator who made you. There are mysteries in this life that only God can reveal. So the, so the people came with their opinions, their research, their intellect, and they could just stand there at the end. They had to say, well, we don't really know. And then somebody says, there was a man that used to serve Nebuchadnezzar, a man of God, who used to hear what God would say. I wonder if he could interpret this. They went and they got Daniel. Daniel comes in, and in the 17th verse, we hear his response, because they say the same thing to him. They say, tell us what this means, and we'll clothe you uh, with royal clothing, we'll put the authority of chain around your neck, and we'll make you the third highest ruler, which we now understand, because, you know, if, if dad is the king and I'm the co-regent, well, then the third, you're third in line. Okay, now that all makes sense. Look what Daniel says. Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts for yourself. Give your reward to somebody else. He's not just being humble. He's saying, this, is, this message is from God. I'm just the messenger. This is God's word to you. I didn't make this up. So those other guys that couldn't interpret it, they couldn't figure out the mystery. Well, because they were just making it up. They didn't know. They couldn't answer the mystery. In fact, I was just thinking about this on the way over here from the other service. Those guys couldn't interpret the mystery of the writing on the wall. That's always true with the mysteries of God. Only God can reveal the mysteries of God. We can't figure them out. So your human opinion, what you think, what your friends think, well, for me, I feel, it's not going to work in the end. God has mysteries about your life 
that you'll never discover apart from him. In Psalm 139, it says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment of my life was laid out before a single day had passed. God knows the story of your life. He's got the book on you. If you're gonna figure life out, you just can't go with your feelings. You gotta come to the one who understands everything about you and say, God, show me the way. Well, that's why those guys failed. But Daniel says, keep the gifts. Put this back up on the screen. Keep your gifts for yourself. Give your rewards to somebody else. Nevertheless, I'll tell you what God has said. I'll read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Now, here's the thing, Belshazzar, you should have known better. He goes into, if you were following in your own Bible, you'll see a whole list. He's going, why didn't you learn from Nebuchadnezzar? He was prideful. He thought he knew better than God. And where did it get him? Remember how he went crazy, wild in the woods, like just insane for a period of his life? Now, you guys might have hid that from the rest of the world. The family might have, you know, protected him, but the family knew, right? Because the family always knows the secrets. And so, Belshazzar, you should have known. In fact, that's exactly what he says. Um, Verse 20, you should have known about Nebuchadnezzar, your ancestor, when His heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, and he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. You should have known that. So here's the first lesson. Write this in. It's stupid to have to learn everything the hard way. (laughs) I didn't mean to say stupid in church. I'm not calling you stupid. I'm saying, Darren, you idiot, you have to learn everything the hard way, okay? Do you have to learn everything by pain? Is it... (laughs) It's stupid. I mean, you got what happened to your fathers and to your ancestors. You had what God said, but why do you have to learn it the hard way? Verse 22, take a look at this. You, Belshazzar, his son, Nebuchadnezzar's son, you're doing the same thing. You've not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. So God is saying to this generation some warnings. And this culture is setting itself up against the God of heaven. And God always brings us the warning first. And like that parent of an addicted child, he is longing for us to come home. He doesn't want to have to have us hit the rock bottom. But if that's what's necessary, we will. We don't have to learn the hard way. Now, this is what the verse goes on to say. You had... You, you, you did this, Belshazzar. You brought goblets from the temple to you. You and your nobles, your wives, your concubines, you drank from them. He's basically saying, you guys mocked God and desecrated yourselves, and you praised the God of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear, gods of your own making. You made gods that couldn't help you. Look what he says. You did not honor the God who holds your life in his hand and all of your ways. You didn't honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all of your ways. You don't have to even be following God, but do you know he's got your life in his his hands? There is a God in heaven, whether you're following him or not, who holds your life in his hands. And so worship the God you make up to your own insanity, I guess, but there is a real God in heaven. And so he says, you made up your own gods, Therefore, he is the one now who has sent this writing on the wall. And when you hear that phrase, it means something in our culture, the writing on the wall. It comes from the Bible. It means like impending doom like, or imminent doom. Like, you see, that guy's going to get fired. And everybody goes, yep, the handwriting's on the wall. You know, we know what that means. Well, it comes from this story. 
And that's the warning God says to this generation. Friends, the handwriting is on the wall. It's plain to see. And I think this is going to speak to me and to you today so powerfully. It's not just for Daniel. Beginning in verse 26, Daniel begins to explain the meaning of these words, many, many, tekel, parson. Now, those words don't mean anything to you or to me or even to those people in that culture because they couldn't. They were mysteries. They were words that God had sent. They weren't even a known language. But then God gave Daniel the meaning of the words, and so now he gives them to us. Verse 26, here's what the words mean, many, which means this. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Can you imagine him saying that to this guy? Here's a guy parting like it's 1999, <laughs> and he's going, hey, today it's up, it's over. I mean, he has the audacity just to say what God has said. And he says it twice, many, many. God has numbered your days. He's brought your reign to an end, and he's fearless about it. So write this in. Here's the first warning to you and to me. Our days are numbered. Like your life has a beginning and your life has an ending. You know that little phrase about the tombstone, we just live the dash between the dates. We don't know the end one yet. Well, God knows it. He has numbered out our days. We have a set day of our birth and a day of our death. James, the writer of the book of James says, it's just a mist. It's a vapor. It comes and it goes. It's gone. So here's why you came to church today, so that your pastor could say to you, you're going to die. <laughs> You're going to die someday. Everybody's going to die, unless the Lord comes back someday pretty soon. But you're going to die. That's the, that's, the, that's the end of every person. And I know that this isn't an encouraging verse, but it says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and then comes the judgment. We just need to hear that once in a while to remind us that our days are numbered. Why is that important? Well, because we tend to waste things that we think we have a lot of, right? So when you think you've got lots of something... I don't even think about it. When it's short and it's precious, then you start to, you know, you start to ha it has more value. <laughs> like, like if you're taking 15-minute hot showers, you don't pay the bills in the house, you don't ever think about that, and you're just in there in that water bill, and I look at that. I'm not talking about anybody in my family. And... Um, <laughs> And then you go out on your own and you're living by yourself and now you're taking these marine showers that are cold in 90 seconds because you want that bill to be small. Why? Because you know you don't have all the money in the world now, right? Because you, you, you didn't even think about it. When you have a lot of something, you don't, it's not precious to you. Okay? Well, I want to say your days are precious. Every day matters. You matter. Today matters. Today counts for something. I don't know if you're in the room, but maybe the doctor told you you have a short amount of time to live. And I'm sorry if that's the message you've heard, but I, I know one thing about you right now. Everything in your life has changed, and the things that are important and the things that are not important have come, become very clear. And see, that's what it would be like if all of you knew, if all of us knew we just had a short period of time, we had 30 days, 90 days, six months to live, it would get very clear what really, really matters. What are you living for? What is, what is important? That's what he was saying to this king. Your, your days are numbered, and unfortunately, they've come to an end. And see, David, the writer of the Psalms, he speaks to us so clearly today. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are, are numbered. Remind me that it's just fleeting away. My life is no more than a width of my hand. Human life is just a breath. I mean... Help me to remember that life is precious. 
because it is. You see, your, their life could be used for so many things today, but when you think you have a lot of it, you just waste it. And time goes by so quickly, and suddenly it's gone. And God doesn't want you to live with regret and look back at all the things you could have or should have. How about just today? What good could you do today? What if you live today and says, the reason I'm here today is to be good to others? What if you woke up every day and you say, today I will set the culture of every room I walk into. I won't just reflect what I find. I've been telling that to my children ever since they were little. I would, I would sit down with them and I'd say, now the bus is going to come in just a few minutes, sweetie. I mean, since they were this small, but you have the opportunity to change the culture of every room you walk into today. You can lead or you can be a follower. I want you to remember, don't go with the blood-sucking gossip. I want you to lead up today, okay? And that's important. Every day matters. And you could do good with today. You could, you've been blessed. You've been, you've, God's given you resources and abilities and talent. You could give a word of encouragement to someone that could change their day. But too often we're just thinking about ourselves and what we don't have and who said what about us, wasting our time based on the opinions of a few negative people. Well, remember, every day is precious. Don't waste a one of them. That's the warning. The second warning is this, tekel or tekel. You have been weighed on the scales and been found wanting. (laughs) Isn't that an interesting way to say that? It just means that you're too light, which nobody has ever said to me, (laughs) not once. I would love to go to my doctor's office one time and stand on that big Price is Right scale. You know, the one. I would love to get on that one time and have them say, you've been standing on this scale and you've been found wanting. Wouldn't that be a great thing to hear? Never happens. What does this mean? It means that you're not measuring up like like the days you were given and the impact you've made or the weight, the, the contribution. It's just not there. And it's a, it's, a, it's a warning about waste. It's a warning about missed opportunity. And, and that's the sad thing for this young man. The message came that, you know, your days are numbered, it's over, and you've been put on the scale and the impact of your life. You know, you can't just say hashtag YOLO. You know, you just can't just go, it doesn't matter. It's like, I'm just going to live for today, party, you know, because tomorrow we may die. No, that's a horrible philosophy. Every day matters and every day counts. And what you're doing is building up a weight of eternal significance for you. Because, you know, one day you're going to stand before God and it's going to be, well, what was your contribution? What was your purpose? Well, this is a very powerful warning. I can't imagine any of us standing in here today going, man, my life is perfectly in balance. Because this is the warning, write it in. Our lives get out of balance so fast. I can't imagine one of us standing here today going, my life's in perfect order. I spend just the amount of time with God every day, and I spend enough time with him and the word. I spend time with my children and my family and my wife. My marriage is getting the right amount of time, and my work is getting the appropriate amount of time, and my skills and contributions that are going into God's kingdom, it's all in the right place. And if there was one of us, don't raise your hand, but I want to be you. I know our lives get out of balance so fast, and I think he's talking to us right now in this particular culture where our goal doesn't seem to be balance. It seems to be how much can we fit into one day. And that's a prophetic warning to people who are trying to squeeze every last thing in. And you look at the list of our time, and you wonder, where's it all going? I found out that just just in our average lives, we'll spend 13.4 years watching TV. That's part of the American life. We'll spend five years waiting in line which that sounds horrible. (laughs) 
and we will spend a year of our lives looking for lost things like phones and keys and wallets. Oh my gosh. Please shoot me now. And uh, this just in from USA Today this weekend that people are spending more time now on Facebook than with their families. Okay. And it's here. Right? What, everybody has a list. What's on your list? Like what, what are you feeling? What's going to be the weight of your life at the end? You know, what's it going to say? I mean, do we really have to do six sports at the same time? I mean, do we have to? I mean, what are we doing? What are we accomplishing? And so it's a warning to say our lives are out of balance. Look at this verse from Ecclesiastes, verse 4. Okay, it's on the screen. It's better to have only a little with peace of mind than to be busy all the time with both hands trying to catch the wind. You don't stop the constant drive for more, to have more, to get more, to do more, to achieve more. Where does it lead? And where does it end? The, the warning is not good. Rick Warren said this. He said, if you're burning the candle at both ends, you are not as bright as you think you are. <laughs> and I love that. It's true. So if you want to do something about this, you've got to live with some urgency. And you've got to realize every day is precious and life is out of balance. And, you know, the, 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 there's, a, there's a word to you about this, you know. Get things in the right order. Put the big things in your life first. Put the important things in first. And everything else will find a place. What we do is we fill up with so many things, we've not made the big commitments of life. We've made commitments to a thousand little things, and it's death by a thousand little paper cuts. But if you'll start with the big things first, every little thing will fit in. My wife and I have a habit, every year we come to this time, we do clean the garage day. I don't know if you do this, but it's in the fall before winter, and we clean everything out, put it on the driveway, get rid of the stuff we don't want, clean the garage, sweep it out, and then we start putting stuff back in. And there is an order to how things go back into the garage, right? Big things, important things, and things we need to get to quickly go in first. You don't walk in there with the one screwdriver and lay it on the floor or with a bunch of little stuff. Can you imagine if you just started randomly picking up all these little things and putting it in, there wouldn't be room for the big things later. So write this down, order determines capacity. So the right order is, is, is as important to anything. Order determines capacity. And Jesus said it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be given to you as well. Put him in first place. Put him first in your time. First in your day. First in your week, which is what you're doing today. First in your life, in your relationships. First in your finances. First in everything. If you get the first things right, God blesses everything else, and it comes into order, and it all fits in. And from that place of having the first things in order, you'll, back, you'll look at the rest of it and say, well, that's not even really important. The big things got done. And that's where peace and significance from, comes from. That was the second big warning that came here because um, if, God is so, if God's not first, we're, we're going to be experiencing some difficulties. And that was the third warning. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 28, Perez, which is the singular for the word parson we heard before, he says, Belshazzar, your, your days are numbered. You've been found wanting on the scale and now your kingdom is divided and it's given to the Medes and the Persians. He had no idea it meant that night, but it shouldn't have been a surprise. I mean, he knew that Darius the Mede and all the Persian army was coming. They knew. That's why they're having the big party. Okay? 
So what were they actually doing? You think about this, and here's the third point, write this in. They were ignoring obvious warning signs, which is what the message is to us. When we don't number our days and we get our lives totally out of balance, inevitably we're going to ignore obvious warning signs. You don't realize your days are numbered, you let life get out of balance. He says it's going to be divided at some point, which means what? It means it's going to start coming apart. Like marriage is going to come apart, or peace is going to come apart, or some relationship, or some, something is going to fall apart when your life gets out of balance. And God, in his mercy and grace, starts sending little warnings to us, little things. In, in King Belshazzar's case, the warnings were there, but he just didn't see it. His, his response was, forget warnings. Eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. And we ignore the warning signs, too, as if we think we have all the time in the world. The funny thing about warnings is they don't usually work. <laughs> it's like those dumb barrels out on the interstate out here at I-69. They're supposed to tell us to slow down, right? But do any of us really do that? I mean, we did when they first put them out, but over time, we don't even see them anymore. But we do see them, but we, we don't see them. But we see them. You know how that is with warnings? Like, it's there, but we don't really... It's a barrel. <laughs> But that's how two guys get, you know, killed right out here a little bit later. We just, oh, oh, oh. See, warning signs, after a while, you stop seeing them. And God comes along, though, and starts to activate little disruptions in our lives, a little warning in our marriage, a little pain there, a little disruption, a little communication breakdown starts to happen at work, a little inability to sleep, a little weight gain. I don't know how that happens. You know, just a little problem, and we're just, we should notice, hey, something's off. I, you know, this is, but we ignore that, and we keep going on. King Belshazzar is here to teach us through his story that it doesn't have to be that way. It's stupid to have to learn everything the hard way. Why does pain have to be the only teacher as effective of a teacher as it is? It shouldn't have to be the only one. So when you're going through pain for a long time, when you're, you're getting these warnings, Darren, what do they look like? Well, let me give you a few. Here's what the warnings tend to look like. Number one, the, just the propensity to give in to temptation, or there seems to be an increase in temptation in my life. Have you ever experienced this? Like, like where's all this temptation coming from? Maybe you've been giving in to temptation a whole lot more than you used to, and you're trying to figure out why. Well, if you're burning the candle at both ends and you're too tired and you're expended, See, the scripture says the Satan doesn't come to attack you when you're strong. The scripture says he, he comes in the opportune time, right? So he's waiting for you to be good and tired, just to be worn out. And at the end, you study the fall of great people, men and women who had it together and somehow their lives blew up. In every single case, the common denominator is that life got overextended in some area way past the limits, so that's what happens. That's one of the warning signs. Another warning sign is uh, inconsistent emotions. Like, you know, it's the outburst or we get bumped and then inappropriate comes out. Or like, you know, you'll watch this. You'll see people driving, normally very nice, friendly people, but they're in the car and they're shouting at people that can't hear them. And it makes no sense. And then they pull off and get to their office and going, why was I doing that? That's not even me. Well, yeah, it's not you, but your body's trying to tell you that there's too much pressure, too much stress, too much happening in your life. I mean, it's not the guy on the freeway. You know, stop yelling at him. What's the real problem? 
Okay? Another warning that comes is when we're just less productive. We used to be able to accomplish so much more, but we're accomplishing less. We're trying to figure it out. God has given us a principle called Sabbath. And the Sabbath is, is that we take one day off in seven to recreate. God designed us that way that on the seventh day he rested and he actually built you that you need to have on the seventh day an opportunity to replenish and to renew and to recreate, and we ignore that at our own peril. So that doesn't mean just come to church for an hour, okay? You know what that means today, friends? Take the whole day off. That's what I'm giving you this morning. Take it off. Now, you'd think I just said a sacrilege just now, but I didn't. That was good advice. I, I thought you'd be excited about that. Take the day off. Relax. Enjoy today. Watch the Colts game. I'll get you out on time. Don't worry about that, okay? <laughs> Enjoy it. Sit at, something, sit at something called the table with your family and look at each other and tell each other that you love each other and just enjoy your family and go on a walk or get out in nature or sleep. Take a nap. It's probably the most spiritual thing some of you could do. Except for the next four minutes or so. <laughs> Stay awake. No, I'm, I'm serious, because what happens is, is that, no, 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 I got to get more done. One more thing. Some of you don't, never, you don't even know what a day off is. That's why you just looked at me like, what is he talking about? Because you fill every moment with an activity, and you have got to stop at some point. Otherwise, there will, the pain that's in your life right now is an indication that I'm, I'm not slowing down. And then the fourth one is this. Here's why the Sabbath is so important, and really what the whole deal's about. I can't hear God. When you're going at 50,000 RPMs, you cannot hear the voice of God because he speaks to us most often in a still, small whisper. By the time it's a loud voice, everything's going to hell. Like stuff's, stuff's really bad. But he is speaking in a really quiet whisper to us all the time. And some of you have been praying. You're trying to figure out, like, where's God when this happened? And you're trying to understand the mystery, but he has no ability to talk to you because you've just, your life is filled with every other voice. And it's so cluttered and so busy. And social media is on all the time. I mean, you know, first thing in the morning. And where, how can God speak into your life? Where's the quiet moments for him? You know that uh, this stadium in Kansas City last week, did you hear this on ESPN? It's the loudest stadium in the, in the country now. It's got the record, 147 decibels, right? That's like a jet engine loud, okay? So that means there's a stadium, 60,000 people, with a, and you got a person right next to you, and you're shouting at them, and they cannot hear you. They can't. They literally can't because it's so loud. But you go back later into that same stadium, you stand on the field, you can hear someone on the opposite side in the top row in the back, and you can hear their voice. Why? Because there's just one person. See? And God wants to talk to you, but when there's so many voices and, it's the, and life is so loud, you cannot hear him. You cannot get direction. And God says, this is a warning for us. That if our lives get so out of balance that we can't hear him, there are going to be things that we will ignore and to our own detriment. God's trying to speak. The first 15 minutes of the day, what happens if you just got up, you didn't turn anything on? Don't turn on the TV. Put on some worship music and just sit quiet in, your, in a chair and open your Bible and just say, God, you are God. Talk to me. I'm not the God of this day. You are. You're first. 
And God, speak to me through your word today and write out a prayer and just get quiet. 15 minutes. If you did that for the rest of this year and in through next year with me, if you just read the one-year Bible like I do every day, just a 15-minute installment, pull it up on you version and just, it'll change your life. It will change your life because you'll be talking to God. Well, Belshazzar didn't have the opportunity Look what it says. That night, verse 29, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Wow. With a few hours to spare, right? That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, was killed. He was slain. And Darius the Mede just walked into the city. History records there was no opposition. He just walked in. At the age of 62, he became the ruler. Now, here's the thing. We've been learning that all of this teaches us. Babylon represents the culture that's going crazy that will not worship God. Daniel represents the righteous remnant that humbles themselves under God and becomes exceptional. And God has his hand of blessing on him all the way through. Daniel serves not one not two, not three, but four kings in succession. 90-year life and one of the greatest, most influential people. We're going to discover how influential he was, which is exactly what God wants to do with you. Don't think that your life doesn't matter and don't think that you can make a difference. The reason why so many of us are stuck in lives of insignificance is, is that we're not paying attention to the warning signs. We haven't numbered our days. We haven't counted and realized how precious life is. Listen to the warning signs. We're just letting life lead us. We're listening instead to other voices and the clutter. People who say, you're not enough, you never will be, or you're just focused on all your mistakes, or maybe your response is, it's too much, you know, party, 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 because tomorrow we die, who cares? Will you heed the warning? Let me give you a scripture verse that will help you to walk. It's your homework assignment. Look at this, because we got to live with some urgency. That's what the message is today. Live with urgency. Psalm 90, verse 12. It's a prayer. God, teach us to number our days and to recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them like we should. Can you imagine if all of us prayed that prayer and we decided together, God, we recognize that we in this time, in this place, you've brought us together for this moment, for this short time. Teach us to number our days. Lord, order us. Bring order to our lives. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in our lives, in us together today. Teach us to spend our days like we should. I think your life would dramatically change and mine too. Now, I preach this with such a heavy heart of conviction because I'm no different than any person in here. But I pray you join me in this quest to say, God, let us heed the warning now. Let's heed it now. How do we do that? Well, it starts off by an act of humility where we actually say, you know what? I can't do this. My tendency is to ignore warnings. My tendency is to get completely out of balance. My tendency is to forget how many days I've got. So what am I going to do? Well, humbly come to God, and in, here's the last scripture, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Do it now. Don't say later. 
Don't say two years from now or when this gets in order. You have to come now to God. Don't wait for your life to get in order. You need him to bring his order to your life. And it's a humble act of, act of submission, of surrender to say, I can't do this without God. God, you have to guide and to direct. It says this, I tell you now, now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. Today, right now. And if you'll come to him now, and I think that God is speaking to many of you. This thing about the little pain warning signs has hit many of us today. Well, God's not mad at you. He's not angry with you. He's not trying to judge you. He's been waiting for you to come to him. He's already settled the anger of, all, all God's judgment went on Jesus on the cross. So he's not angry with you today. He's longing for you to come. He's already decided to forgive you. He's already decided to make a way to bring your life back into order. And today is the day. Now is the time. Don't procrastinate. Do you receive this today? All right. I hope that you do. Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Let's pray this prayer together. I'm going to pray it for me, and you can join me. It's a prayer I pray all the time. It starts off with this. A, a real humble prayer begins with an acknowledgement that I am not God, and you've got to mean that. You've got to say, I know I'm not God. I have tried to control everyone and everything. My life's a disaster. You say, that's, that's me, Darren. I know that's true. Will you just acknowledge that to God and say, God, you know what's true. And really, I've made up my vision of what God is. There is only one God who holds my life in his hands, and he does have the right to contradict me. You got to say that. Yes, God. There is a God outside of me, a power that's greater than me. And then the second part of the prayer is, God, I am sorry. I have resisted you. I've done my own thing. I've ignored you. I've actually gone off partying, done whatever I could to not think about it. Come on, you can just say, God, that's me. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my self-ruled life, my selfish life. I'm sorry for my mistakes. Come on, just tell him that today. Yes, God, that's me. And then the last part of the prayer, God, I'm ready. I'm ready now. No more procrastination. I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to put my life in your hands. Now, that's very hard for controlling people to do, to say, God, I give you my life, but he will not fail you, and it is the only way. You cannot come to God and think that you're going to be in control. But he's a father who loves you, and I can tell you from personal experience, he will never let you down. He is the father to the fatherless. He's a good father. So, God, I come to you today, and I give you my life, and I ask you to lead me from this day forward. Say, yes, God, that's me. Holy Spirit, I pray you would just do something that no words or music can do. Just reveal yourself now. Reveal, Holy Spirit, yourself to each person. May they sense your presence. May they sense the forgiveness that is there. Forgive them. Draw them to you. Jesus, we pray for all of us that you would be at the center of our lives. Jesus, you'll be at the center of our church. Jesus, you'll be at the center of everything. We commit that to you now in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen and amen. Do you believe that today? Let's all stand. Let's sing to him together. Jesus, be the center of it all. Let's sing. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center. 
From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters, and nothing in this world will do. start taking the next right steps. So for some of you, that's create a spot where God can talk to you every day. So sometime today before it's over, go find that quiet moment and deal with him, talk to him and put a time in your calendar for tomorrow. If your life is burdened down by debt and you can't even breathe, get into Financial Peace University. Make the decision that you're gonna be free. You're not gonna be controlled by, you know, bank interest. That's no way to live your life. Put that to work. Let God set you free. Listen, friends, $50,000 from one class in 13 weeks is a miracle. That's what happens, okay? So you can be set free too. Some of you need to be baptized today. Some of you have decided to walk away from just a self-ruled, you know, life's all about me and you're gonna commit your lives to Christ. We have everything that you need. We've got the clothes, the towels, the hair dryers. Now one thing, you didn't prepare for it, we prepared for you. And we would love to help you totally say, you know, my past is behind me. I've been raised as a brand new person to walk with Christ. Sin's washed away. You prayed that prayer. It happened in your heart right now. Baptism just tells everybody, I have decided to follow Jesus. That can happen for you today. Maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you need prayer for that wayward child or someone who's far from God that you care about. Maybe you need prayer in your own life. We're going to have people here at the front as we leave. And you know, church is a great place to ask someone to pray for you. If you can't ask somebody to pray for you here, I don't know where you could. I mean, we would love to pray with you. I'll be around. All of our team will be here. 
but we want to pray. And friends, we have an opportunity to give today. Isn't that great to be able to give? It's time for the offering. Yes. It's not about us. It's not about us. We have the opportunity to bless. And if every person would just give in a sacrificial heart today so that we can reach out to the literally the poorest of the poor, I would love to be able to do that in a way that blows everybody's minds together. We can do it. So let's give today with all of our hearts. You can put your offering envelope in the boxes on the way back. You can give online. There's an app for that in your, uh, that you can download. All kinds of ways you can give. But thank you in advance. And all of you who have given and who have served, thank you for what you've done. I really, really appreciate it. Let me bless you today. Father, you've spoken deeply to our hearts. This is a convicting message. May we heed the warning and don't have to let pain be our teacher. We don't need to go through tragedy to be taught. Today we come to you and we ask you to take us by the hand and lead us to sanity. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen. God bless you.